and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, after a difficult and different year, businesses and their teams are starting to come back together and re-establishing those team dynamics that make up a company's culture is going to be a commonplace activity for many. Well, today I'm joined by someone who helps businesses just do that. He's even written a book on the topic called The Exceptional Team Blueprint, but typical of the guy I know, he's not here to plug that but he's just going to share some of his experiences on the practical things that you can do to get the band back together and humming. So let me introduce you to Andrew Deaton. Hi, Andrew. How are you, mate? Hi, Andy. I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Welcome to to, uh, Sticky Studios, my friend. Thank you. So, I mean, I, I know you. My viewers really might not know you. So just give us a little bit of a an insight into into Andrew's world and, and what you do and where all that's come from. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a people and team development specialist. I really started my career at Rolls-Royce. I did 26 years there and then took voluntary redundancy and took, really took the opportunity to to set up my own business because I, th- I thought if I don't try it, I'll look back and, and potentially regret it. And, and really to focus on the bits of the job that I enjoyed doing and, and not focus on the bits that I, I didn't enjoy. So I could really focus on those, those things around, particularly team development. So I, I work with businesses to put strategy process solutions in place around people development in its broadest sense. But particularly, um, I really like the, the team development side of things. So that's what I focus on primarily in the business now. Hey, look, if we all got to choose to do the things we just love doing, the world would be a much better place. Well, um, absolutely. So taking full ad- full advantage of that situation makes a lot of sense, yeah, a lot of sense to. to me. But yeah. Rolls-Royce, that's one hell of a company. What were you doing inside Rolls-Royce? I started off in engineering. So my background originally was was as a designer, designing jet engine parts. So, um, And then gradually I moved further away from that and into more training HR type positions. So... Uh, at various points, I, I I looked after the employee development side of of the marine division. I was an HR director for a while, uh, again in a marine services part. Um, and then my last substantive role before I left was uh, running the early career team, so looking after all the graduate and apprentice recruitment and and selection, which was which was a brilliant job because it was just so positive and and focused on the future. So that was my that was my main big team leadership position. So I looked after 50, I had 50 people working for me. And, and between us, we looked after about 2000 trainees at any one time 
across the business, which was just great. Well, I mean, that's one hell of a change, mate, from design engineer to effectively HR practitioner. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, some journey. Absolutely. absolutely. And and I, you know, when I started at Rolls-Royce in engineering, I thought I'd be in engineering for life, as as a lot of people were at Rolls-Royce, you know, 30, 40 years service. I, I never envisaged it. I think it's all about opportunities, Andy, when, when something comes along that you may never have thought about kind of say yes and see what happens because as, as I shifted out I, I sort of I knew that I could have gone back into engineering in originally I couldn't do it now at all but but I think it's about just balancing those risks and taking those opportunities hey well an opportunity presents itself to you grab it with both hands yeah. absolutely I'm a big fan of that is that where you 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 got this love passion call it what you will for all things people, culture, team development. Is, is that, was that always there before you made the move or is it something that grew as you made the move? I, I think it's something that grew. Actually, I've, I've never really thought about that, but I think it's something that grew. So I've been a part of, obviously, as an engineer, you're part of a team. I have to deliver my design in time for it to be made, to be tested and so on. So that's, that was my first kind of experience of being a team member. And then as I moved into different roles, I, I worked for some really great team leaders, directors, project managers, whatever you call them. And, and then also later in my career, sort of moved into leadership positions myself as well. And, and really what I've done is I've kind of, I've taken those experiences and observations from watching what people do that I think makes a really great team leader and, and kind of use those going forward. So it's, it's just gathering those experiences and those observations, as well as a bit of a sort of theory, shall we say, as well. But I think what you said at the outset, make things work in practice. That's 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 what matters to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine there's probably no finer place to get a good grounding in that stuff in, in a company like Rolls-Royce, right? No, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, great place. It was a great place to work. So if it was something that this love grew whilst you were there what what were the things were there some standout moments and what were the sort of key lessons that you that you took out of uh, I guess teamwork in that organization that you now help businesses with today I think I think probably my my first one was um was really my it was my first HR job but knowing nothing about HR so they took a risk on me as an HR team leader on a for a new factory build and this this factory was was greenfield so we had two years to basically build an operating factory from nothing but it was very different at the time for rolls royce it was it was new terms and conditions new shift patterns new reward systems so actually having i suppose having no hr baggage because i didn't know anything at the time was an advantage because i didn't kind of know what you could and couldn't do and that was that was really I think that was really my first experience of being part of a very, very focused project team with a really clear deliverable. So as I say, we had two years to get this factory working. I think that that was really the foundation of a, a lot of the stuff that, that I've learned over time, you know, watching the how the project direct, director ran that team informed a lot of a lot of the things that I, I still do today. What are those principles then that that this project 
leader, I guess, instilled in you that you try and help businesses with today? Because that sounds like a, a sort of a framework that that you've yeah. you've built on, right? What what he got us all to do was was really think: Why do I want to be on this team? What kind of the what's in it for me being a team member? And and so for me at the time, I had I had two young daughters, I had twins, and I was quite early in my career, really. And I just made this shift from engineering into HR training sort of roles. And um, this was all about progression, to be honest. It was, it was, for me, it was all about how can I provide better for my family? So being part of this team, I could see I, I had a potentially quicker career progression. I was learning new stuff, which I, I wanted to do as well. Um, so for me, that, those were the, the drivers. It was a mix of the, the opportunity to do something new. And, and Rolls-Royce hadn't, this was a £40 million investment quite a long time ago. And Rolls-Royce hadn't done anything like this. So it was being part of something quite new and radical, actually, it was really interesting for me personally. But as I say, from a career perspective, it felt the right thing to do as well. So you were committed um, at this point so, then, weren't you? I mean, you, you, had, yeah, you had a real reason to sort of throw yourself into it. Yeah. And then when things, and it was a, it, it, at times it was a really difficult project because we were, you know, we were closing an existing factory and, and we were recruiting specifically into the new factory. So there were some quite, uh, at times, some quite difficult issues to deal with and quite a lot of bad feeling at times from obviously I understand from the affected population so when we had these down times these really sort of low points having that that really personal reason for for why I want to be part of this it just helps you focus again and, and you know gives you that kick to really to get on with it you know so so I think it's really important if you can really understand what what's your real driver for wanting to be part of this team yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do is about making a personal connection, right? And this is this is this is no different. I mean, if we think about what's going on, I guess in businesses all over the country, well, all over the world at the moment, is people are slowly coming back. Right, businesses are opening up. Uh, people are coming back to offices, places of work, albeit maybe in some sort of part-time or hybrid type working. Yeah, and you're going to be bringing people back together who, all right, maybe via Zoom or whatever, have been together, but have been experiencing the last year very, very differently. So when you're thinking about building teams and, well, even rebuilding teams and rebuilding cultures based on the, the last year, mm. uh, this must be where your framework, your approach to, to teamwork, team building, culture definition must really come into its own right now so yeah i, I think um for, for, for a lot of organizations of you know obviously those who who've had people out as you say on on, on furlough so that maybe the more office-based who who can work remotely or have had to furlough people um i think actually when they start to bring people back together it is it is kind, kind of like forming a new team really starting from scratch in, in some instances if if people haven't had any connection for for months or you know potentially up to a year it is really like starting again and and and, and building a team from nothing potentially so, so if you if you're if you're looking at that and you're coming into a business what are those 
what are those steps then, Andrew? What are the steps that you work to to establish or rebuild a team and and set that up for success going forwards? Is there a sort of have you got a uh, a, a process that you take businesses through? And what, what's that look like? Yeah, I've got I've got a bit of a process that I that I use for 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 these sort of rebuild restarting um, sessions. Really, so I think I think the first thing is almost the it's really reconnecting people. So there's kind of a bit of almost a bit of ice breaking, a bit of energizing again, and and um, as you would do with these with these sort of icebreaker activities, and and just getting people kind of to almost to socialize again potentially because they may they may not have had that informal social contact that you get when you're working as part of a team as well. So it's kind of re- restarting those relationships first of all. So forget the the work side of things. Just just get people um, talking together again, and and you know, sim- just just lots of different things you can do. But but if you can link it going forwards to the business, people may well have picked up a lot of new skills whilst they've been um, working from home or not have other things to do. They they maybe tried new things, and and those skills could be things that could actually help the business. You know, so getting people just to say, well, what have you learned whilst we've been locked down? something new that you've done, things like that. So just general ice-breaking type activities um, it's to, interesting to help that you people, say, re- people reconnect. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think I saw a video or or read something recently was some expert, and I use the term in inverted commas, was saying, yep, yeah, for the first few weeks back at work, there really shouldn't be any work. It should all be about you know, getting back, getting to know each other, spending time. Now, look, I mean, I think that's interesting. I'm not quite sure how practical that is for bus- for businesses yeah, to do. Yeah. Oh, we won't do any work for two weeks. We'll just all no, get together and, and, and love one another. I mean, that's that's lovely, but I don't think it's practical. But I think the point, I think the point that is valid and I guess plays to what you've just sort of said is that that reestablishing connection with each yeah. other or establishing a connection with each other is is really going to be a useful platform to build on the stuff that people have been dealing with over the last year there's there's plenty of opportunities to, for, for things to talk about and and ways to connect yeah and i i, I ran a, a team session last week actually just and um there were a couple of people on the call who'd who joined that team but had never met their colleagues so they joined a team sort of during lockdown um, from an external organization and and just had never met either virtually or physically any of their colleagues. So there's there's obviously a bit of time on that call was was kind of them introducing themselves yeah, as well. Yeah. Which was um So that's step one. Yeah, I think <laughs> So that's step one, right? So we've got yeah. um re-engage, I guess. Is that what you call it? Or? It is, yeah, re Re- re-engage, reconnect, re-energize, get get them get them working back together. And I, and I think um, I think all these these steps that I, I take people through, you, you know, you could do them in in a in a half half day type session. But your point about actually having to do some work as well, you know, we, we are here to to run a business and do some work on the business. I think you could spread these over a number of weeks. You know, just pick up one of the steps per week and work on it. Um, you, you don't need to do it all in one go. You, you can do some, some, some work as well. I think at the same time as these things. Yeah, like a sort so, of phased, um, phased approach to it all. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So what's next? So I think I think the, the, the next stage that I think is really really important to think about is 
the experiences that people have gone through. So people will have gone through all sorts of and potentially quite you know, very, very difficult experiences. They may have lost people. They've had maybe the, the caring responsibilities, the homeschooling type responsibilities. People will have had a massive range of different experiences. And I think it's, I think it's important where people want to, you can't, you shouldn't, I don't think you should force people to do this, but if they want to share those experiences so people understand what they've been through and where they're coming from, then I think it's important to give people an opportunity to do that. So I can't, I call this the sort of the review and the reflect step. So it's, it's, it's that recognition and acknowledgement for, for you as the team leader, as well as the team members, you know, I think that's important for a bit of almost self um, awareness. Um, just to, just to think about what they've been through, how people are feeling about returning to work. You know, you've got, you may well have people who've, who've worked all the way through and their colleagues have been on furlough for 12 months. So there, <clears throat> there's potentially a, almost a bit of a, well, I've been here and, you know, you've been sat at home potentially is the, is the perception, you know, so I think the opportunity to raise those sort of concerns that people have got, or, you know, a lot of people might be a bit nervous about going back into if they're going physically and, you know, from a, from a COVID perspective, a health and safety type perspective, people might be a bit fearful of that. So having that opportunity to, to raise concerns, but then about, okay, what are you looking forward to as well? You know, sort of shift it from, from the, maybe the more negative side to the positive things. And, and what have people learned from the experience that actually, you know, they, they reckon we're, we're something like five years ahead, digital uh, digital working wise than we would have been had had this not happened. So, a lot of organisations have found some really great ways of of working differently. So use those, take them forward. You know, so look back and say what have we learnt as in as an individual and also as a business and teams and so on, and what do we want to build on? So you're sort of moving from that historical experience to the to the present now. No, I think that's a really really good point uh, this thing about um i guess people's different experiences and and yeah you can look at the furlough and non-furlough i know from a lot of the work that that i've done you know in the early days there was an awful lot of focus on the people who were not in the workplace or the offices and where's everybody okay where's everybody set up uh, almost to the i guess detriment of the guys who were still in the business and i know yeah. from survey work that I, I i've done with some clients that that group felt almost forgotten uh, and mm. left behind and if we're honest a bit resentful and i think you can hear and read about similar things on the whole furlough thing you know the guys who've been working i guess in the business hard covering the gaps of of the many people who unfortunately had to be furloughed um but who may be feeling a little well mixed about the whole thing yes they were employed fully working great all that kind of stuff but probably quite isolated themselves from yes other yes. teammates may even felt like put upon where and, and over the fence that they can't really see people are sitting back chilling shaving their own heads and uh <laughs> you know do, doing things in the back garden and repairing things in the house that they should have done for 10 years and yeah, yeah. Uh, that whole, I guess, furlough envy, if that's what it's called, I mean, that's going to be quite a gnarly topic 
uh, for some people yeah, to kind absolutely. of get into. But your point is, well, you've got to get into it, right? You've got to get it out. In the yeah, open. I think I think so. I think that's important. And and you know, so those people have still they'll have still had the same things going on at home, but they've not been there to 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 maybe deal with them or help out and so on. So yeah, I think you're right. That will plus that the, the there may well have had to be redundancies and things, you know, so that team may have lost a few team members um, for, for business reasons. But, um, and so again, there might be a bit of this kind of guilt survivor syndrome as well. Yeah. You know? So there's, I think there's a lot of stuff that that's, that's mixed together here. Absolutely. And the subsequent steps then that you would take in this, in this, in this journey. Yeah. So that, what I do then is once they've, once they've thought about the, the, the experience and, and what actually the positive things that they can take forward in terms of how they work and, and, and processes and all sorts of things like that is really to, to get them to refocus on has a, has the strategy changed, you know, so the business might have shifted its, its offerings or it might have shifted how it delivers its offerings and has that strategy changed. And then what does that mean then to us as a team? So you kind of, moving from the, the present to a bit of the future now and, and getting people to really refocus on and re-engage on what our deliverables are, what our challenges are, um, and, and bring in a bit of the, the the thing we were talking about earlier. What does it mean to me to be part of this team? How does it benefit me at a, at a personal level, at a career level, and so on, in this new, this new world, potentially? Um, and start to think about what what do we want to be different in the team now as we move forward and, and what has to be what 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 needs to be different um so you're kind of getting people now to start to refocus on the future and well i think to your point earlier right that this this whole thing about putting people in the center of it i mean that is a critical part of of, of engagement if you can't see yourself in it then it's it's never going yeah. to engage you or or, or change um anything and then this thing about having a clear idea about what the future looks like again you know that strategic narrative for the business is incredibly important and, and um, again another major part of forging a strong engaged culture people people knowing where yeah, we're going it's, it's and about this, that purpose. absolutely about that purpose and as yeah. you've said right to start with your own personal journey and this is an opportunity for businesses right now to to potentially change or mm. renovate mm. some of the things that were happening you know, pre-COVID that on reflection maybe could be improved or yeah. maybe the last year has thrown us opportunities to kind of say, well, actually we've, we've worked in a different way now or we're looking at different things. Let's, let's up the ante. Let's, let's, let's make some of these changes. You know, often people would love the world to stop and so they could get off and change a few things, but you never get given that opportunity. And yet in a positive sense, we have just been presented with that opportunity. And so I think, I think mm. your framework's a great way for businesses to be able to sort of take that opportunity to improve uh, yep. uh, going forwards. And involvement with their people and yep, having a clear sense of going forward is really important to that, right? It is, yeah. That, you, that, that word, involvement, absolutely. Get people involved and engaged in it. So we've got our team Yep. kind of coming back together we've got a sort of a framework to, to to bring those teams in but i guess your work takes on a wider view of culture as well 
what are what are the sort of key lessons? I mean, again, we can use the backdrop of of the things that we're dealing with today. In that, for you, how does one go about trying to put together a solid core culture that really works for the business? It comes down to ultimately to how people behave. That's that's what sets the culture, I think, fundamentally. And if you kind of if you almost you work backwards from that. So you've, you've got your, as we talked about uh, a few minutes ago, you've got your purpose or you've got your vision as to where you need the organisation or the team to go. And then from that, you set your values. And so those could be corporate values, or I think you, you can have your own set of team values as well. Now, obviously, they, they shouldn't contradict but the, the corporate values, but I think it's quite important to have, have a set of, team level values this is how we are going to work together and then take that down to the behaviors level and so for each of those values that you define so how if i walked into your team how would i know you were operating to those values what would i see what would i hear and get the team members themselves to define those behaviors so they can almost uh, ultimately become almost self policing you know so they can start to in a in a friendly and, and, and informal way, you often see them they'll pull each other up on, you're not demonstrating that value, you're not doing this because of your behaviour. And it starts to become, uh, I guess, kind of an embedded, just the way of doing stuff. Like breathing, right? So, That's so he having those, to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So having those set of almost behavioural statements, what will we see for each value? Not not masses, just two or three for each one. And then people people have got something to they kind of know the expectations around the behaviours and that that sets the culture then. So culture is, is ultimately just how people behave, how people do things. So right now you're saying this is an opportunity for businesses to, even if they've got a set of values, is to reassess where they are and in doing so involve their their team members in putting those together. From my perspective, when I think about yeah. that stuff, I mean, that involvement is crucial for for buy-in but it's also crucial to transfer ownership for these things because i think where we probably both see issues with values in businesses in the past is when there is no ownership because they've almost been passed down you know um, yeah absolutely and yeah. I, you don't want that right you want these no. things to be built from the bottom up really it's interesting yeah, you say about so having think- team values as well as corporate values because um i have a similar but different sort of perspective in that i think you have the core values of the business that remain the same but the behaviors that if you like the observable behaviors that show like you're talking about the delivery of those values yeah i'm a i'm a firm believer that should be grown from the team right so it's so it's really relevant and really owned yeah so i think it just just an example to build on that point andy i think um Depends on the size of your organization as well. But what one method that I think that works really well is to get you can kind of get a, a diagonal slice of, of, of the population into a kind of into a focus group type of environment. Um, and you so say you've got a, some senior managers, you've got some middle managers, you've got some team members, but get get that slice of mix of people into a room mm. and take the Take the values, whether they're corporate, the, the corporate ones that you want to roll out, and get get that 
group working together. So they all bring a different perspective based on their their role and their experience, but they can build it up together. And and then it's not top-down implemented. It's it's built by the population themselves kind of thing. So you get that engagement and and ownership. It's about ownership ultimately. But I think people can hear the different perspectives to help them um, to help them create that set of behaviours. So just a sort of a real example, I did, I did some work a while ago with, a, with a, a brick manufacturer and they've got about 16 sites across the, across the country. Mm-hmm. So they've got their corporate values, but they were at the time they were a bit sort of just wallpaper. So what, what, what I, I did as part of um, a, team of, of, a team of people working with the, with the company was actually, does it matter if the, the behaviours that we see in Bolton are different to the behaviours we see in Leicester because the culture of that factory is different. But the underpinning thing that you said earlier is, is that common set of values. So we took each of those corporate values and the team developed their local set in language that was relevant to that location, to the sort of work they were doing. So you, you had that common set of corporate values but different sort of definitions depending on the location and the culture of the local site and then people feel it's real then it's not just corporate words actually we built those words and the words we've used mean something to us but they're still uh, delivering the overarching i guess it's consistent of the business absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely it's consistent with the direction and uh, that the business wants to go and the values the business wants, which is is critical, absolutely. But people feel it's real then. It's practical to them. I mean, it can go the other way as well, can't it? I mean, you talk about, you know, different cultures in different places. Have you come across situations where businesses are trying to merge sites or even different businesses? So you've got two different cultures coming together. Have you have you had experience of dealing with that? And, and if so... <laughs> What were you faced with? But what was because that almost sounds like a, uh, a disaster waiting to happen. You know, when when I talk to uh, investment guys uh, who talk about you know all the DD they do, the the the, the due diligence that they do mm. for putting business together on finance and legal and all this kind of stuff, there's a real mix of them who actually do cultural assessments as well as well yeah. because whilst it will add up the numbers on paper. Actually, bringing two quite disparate cultures often together could be disastrous, right? Yeah, I so, don't think so. So, what, what's the solutions for avoiding that sort of stuff? I think, I think the first the first question to me is: is do we need to force that culture on the if it, if it's an acquisition or a merger or whatever? Do we do we need to force a dominant culture on everybody? Um, I think that I think that's that should be a question, and, it, and the answer may be yes, we do, or, or it might be actually within a broad set of values, that's okay, you know. And, and then you can define your, as we've just talked about, you can define your own behaviours under those values. But we're not going to impose a set of behaviours on um, on on you. And I think I've got just a couple of a couple of brief examples. The first one is a long, quite a, quite a few years ago, Rolls Royce acquired Vickers and. The Vickers acquisition was was made up of a lot of small 
businesses, a lot of them in, in the sort of the Nordic region, Norway, Finland, Sweden, lots of them were, were almost based, based on an island. You know, it was a factory on an island and, and most of the population worked in that factory. And so they had their very own unique cultures, quite different in different parts of the, 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 the marine business. And, and Rolls-Royce was trying to put in place its corporate processes and ways of doing things. And, and at the time, there was quite a lot of pushback. Mm. Well, you know, we've, we've been successful in, 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 in our organisation for years, and then this big corporate entity is coming in and forcing us to change potentially. And so I think there was quite a bit of, of pushback at times from why should we do it that way? Because actually what we do works works really well. We're very nimble and you're putting bureaucracy in for us, you know. So I think you need to be very careful about how you how you approach those sort of things and, and the engagement and things like that. And, and there may well, you might have genuine reasons why it must be done this way. And that's that's fine. But go through that thought process and then get the engagement with the people to think about, okay, well, we've got to do this. How? How are we going to do it? How are we going to how are we going to implement it? in our context. The other one that, that springs to mind is my, my last job before I left Rolls-Royce was on a, um, it was on a bid team. We were bidding for a very large civil nuclear decommissioning contract. And it was, Rolls-Royce was in a joint venture with two other engineering consultancies, Amec and Atkins. And when I joined that team, we, we were based in Warrington for various reasons. And when I went into that office, I didn't know any of the Rolls-Royce people because we'd been we'd come from lots of different bits of the business. And I certainly didn't know any of the Amec or Atkins people. But walking in, you couldn't tell who was from which business. There was there was this culture that had been developed within the project team, within the bid team, which was just brilliant. And, and I asked I asked the guy who led that team how he did it. His answer was, I assume the people that the companies are putting forward to be in, in this team are capable and good at their job. I take that for granted. So I'm not second guessing the people they're putting forward from a, from a technical or functional expertise perspective. Yeah. And then what I do is I recruit on people who I think will fit into the team from a behavioral perspective. And it just worked. So this guy was a he was a Welsh guy and he was he was big into his rugby and he kind of used his rugby, his rugby experience to just create this. Absolutely, and it was the most seamless team I've ever worked for. It was just brilliant. We all had a very clear focus, what we had to do, really tight timescales. We we actually basically during the week we kind of lived together, really, because we all lived in the same hotel for six months, actually, Monday to Friday. So there was this real strong bond. Of, of, of team members, but he, he just based it on the fit into the team and mm. it, and it just worked. It was, it was brilliant. I think a lot of it comes from that leadership and setting that clear vision and I guess holding people to account on their behavior in line with that vision. Well, I think we, we have already talked about a whole wide range of things uh, in, in this conversation. So we, we've, we've talked about, you know, the, the steps of, pulling a team together or or re-engaging a team uh, who, who've been apart for the last year. We've talked about the influence all that has on culture and some steps you might need to take on that. But we, we talked about practicality at the start of this. And what could be more practical 
Andrew, than sticking your thoughts onto three sticky notes for me, because this is the part of my show where we just try and summarize and, and give the listeners something simple and practical to take away. So in the context that we've talked about um, with people going back to work and teams coming back together and opportunities to kind of either reestablish the culture of the business or establish the new culture that businesses want to see going forward, what wisdom would you stick onto three sticky notes that adorn the walls of Sticky Studios? Yeah, I think my, my first one would be, and again, these apply to, to, to startups or existing teams. So mm. I think my first one would be to really define that set of behaviours that are relevant to your team in its specific context, but link it back to whatever if it has to be linked back to the company values, fine, but define that specific set of behaviors and in the language that's relevant to the people in that team. So someone once called it chip shop language. So it's 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 not all jargon and, and, and so on. It's it's real language that people understand. So that'd be my first my first one. I think my, my second one is around that engagement side, getting people engaged by helping them to think of what's in it for me so beyond the deliverables of the the project or the task or the activities why do I really personally want to be part of this team and then my my third one is more around the leader of the team so there's this this concept called the shadow of the leader and I think as the team leader you've got to you've got to live up to those values and demonstrate those behaviors in everything you do because all those team members are going to be looking up and saying, well, if you don't do it, why should I bother? I think that's, that's really important that it, that it all starts at, at the top, at the leader level, because if you don't do it, no one else will do it. Absolutely right, mate. No say, do gap on my watch. I get that 100%. Absolutely right. That's great. That's some very nice, simple, practical examples of things to do to help you re-engage with your team and start rebuilding that culture after what's been an interesting year. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Really enjoyed speaking to you, and uh, I will see you again very soon. Take care. Thanks, Andy. Okay, that was Andrew Deaton from AWD Development Solutions. If you'd like to find out bit more about Andrew or indeed check out his book The Exceptional Team Blueprint where he covers a lot of the things that he's talked about today please check out the show notes so that concludes today's episode I hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier more successful business from the inside going forward if you have Please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.